IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast presented by Insurance Business. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second edition of IB Talk, the insurance podcast listened to in the UK, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and across Asia Pacific. I'm Paul Lucas, the managing editor of Insurance Business Globally. And I can begin this podcast with some fantastic news. Last week's edition, our first ever IB Talk, was the most listened to edition of IB Talk in history. Who would have thought it? Uh, The first edition, the most listened to ever. So let's hope we can continue that record-breaking momentum. Uh, But to do that, we will need another great guest. And thankfully, that's what we have. Joining me today is the Chief Customer Officer at Zurich, Connie Culture. Uh, Connie, welcome to IB Talk. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So, Connie, uh, you have an incredible background. Uh, You've been studying at some of the most well-known educational institutes in the world. Um, We're talking about London Business School, which I believe you completed in 2003. Um, And then a decade later, you were at Harvard Business School. Uh, What were those experiences like and and how did they compare? They were both uh, very great um, experiences. Uh, The one at London Business School was longer than the one at at Harvard, but it was... uh, it was really nice to take a break from the day-to-day business and get some inspiration, uh, both from other colleagues around the world, but also from the ac- academia that are teaching at those institutions. So they were both very inspiring. So what made you go back? Um, obviously, like, like we said, we, you completed London Business School in 2003. You were at Harvard basically a decade later. What made you sort of continue your education in that way? I think that's all what, what that drives me. Both of them were executive execute. Uh, ex, both of them were executive education, so they were a shorter period of time. But I, it's a part of who I am and how I work that I like to keep on learning and um, sharpening the sores as it is, so that I can keep on staying top of my game in the areas that I'm working in. Mm-hmm. Is that something you would recommend everybody to do to, to to potentially sort of you know look at ways that they can continue their education? Absolutely, I believe strongly in in lifelong learning, and I believe strongly that it's important in any aspects of business that you stay uh, on top of your area of expertise and that you become a, a kind of a thought leader within uh, the areas that you are passionate about and working within. And I, I imagine that saying that you're a, a Harvard graduate is something that can almost carry you through life. Um, I don't think so. I think it's. I don't think that carries you uh, a lot. I think it's all about who you are, how you conduct yourself, and how you engage with um, your your fellow colleagues and the the customers that you are serving. So. It, it, it's interesting to have a bit of a, an academic background in some instances, but that doesn't make the day for you. It's really your understanding of the world you're in, and especially in my case, how well you can link to customers and make sure that everything you do in your business life is linked to improving how to engage with customers. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I, I'm guessing, though, just because Harvard I mean, does have that reputation, I mean, did it feel special to be there? Well, it, it did feel special, but again, I wasn't there for a year. I was just there for a very short period of time. It feels special because the teachers are very good and the, and the, um, the level of teaching is, is very uh, inspiring and interesting. So, of course, that is, is important, but it, I wouldn't say that has been the highlight of my career. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what's really great, though, is that after your time at, at London Business School, so from there you joined um, 
the Lego Group, which, to be honest, sounds like one of the coolest jobs in the world. Uh, can you tell us what you did there? Uh, at Lego. I, so I was already with Lego um, when I okay. went to the London Business School. But um, uh, I joined Lego um, um, in the 80s. So I've been with Lego for 33 years. And of course, it's an amazing company to work for. Um, and it's a company that constantly evolves and is building its um, its uh, future on constantly innovating itself and reinventing itself. So being part of that journey, which had, has, has had its ups and downs, has been a fantastic experience um, to be part of because Lego reinvented itself from a, a mere building toy to become much more of a, a media company to really stay relevant in children's lives. So, so being part of that journey and help defining it has been a fantastic learning, much more so than any course that I've been part of. Yeah, because I mean, Lego, uh, obviously, like you said, it's it sort of reinvented itself, right? But it's, you know, it's starting to have those themes like, you know, Star Wars, Lego, Batman, Lego, Harry Potter, Lego. Um, were you, did you sort of play a part in that? What was your role in that sort of change? Yeah, I had, a, I had many different roles through my life at Lego, but I did at some point was, I was responsible for, for the development of Harry Potter and, and Star Wars on the innovation side. Um, and, and I think it was a natural progression for following the customers. So the kids were changing, the lives of the children were changing. So they were not lo no longer just about playing with a toy. Computer games had arrived, big blockbuster movies had arrived. So in order to remain relevant to them, it was e important for Lego to be present in those media, present in their kids' lives 360. Uh, and that, I think, by following where the customer goes and being relevant to them in the media that are relevant to them, I think was a big part of the success of Lego. So when I grew up, it was all about building houses, very simple models, but it, it today... Um, no kid will say, I would like to have uh, 100 red bricks for Christmas. They would like a, a model. They would like something that sparks their imagination, that gets their creativity going. So, so we had to follow that um, development of, of the kids or, or become irrelevant. And, and you said that you were involved on the, the innovation side. So does that mean that you were, were creating these ideas? Yeah, I was on the marketing side. So I worked with the designer designer groups within Star Wars, Lego City, and Harry Potter to come up with the right models that linked into the into the movies. And I guess this is sort of a a message maybe for you know businesses at large that there is that sort of need to constantly reinvent themselves and and to you know um, you know think about the customer experience. Yeah, I think the danger is if you get too focused on yourself and your inner workings, then you lose sight of the customers. Um, but by, by constantly interacting with customers and engaging with customers, you realize how their lives are changing and you need to follow that and orchestrate yourself as a company behind that. So uh, the same goes for now. The new the, the generations of the millennials and the Gen Z, they have very different life patterns, very different ways of, of living their life in a much more fluid way. And if we as companies... Uh, for example, in Zurich, if we don't follow that uh, and start um, offering them products that are relevant to them, then we will lose out. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, after all of these years at Lego, uh, you've moved on. You had a couple of other roles, I know, with other firms. But then in July last year, I believe, you, you arrived at Zurich as uh, the chief customer officer. So um, what led you to, to join the insurance world? Well, it, it actually was, a, in many instances, a, a dream job because it kind of brought everything together I'd done in, in the past. So at Lego, I had many different roles linking to the customer. So customer experience, social media, customer service, marketing, innovation. I had lots of these roles and I even was part of developing some of the new business areas like TV and film, like software. So I I think the opportunity to come into a whole new, new industry and use some of that learning and that insights and putting it into a whole new context in an industry that's not that advanced in their um, approach to customers. That was a huge um, uh, challenge for me, an opportunity for me that I saw in that in that job. So you said there that um, the insurance industry perhaps wasn't so advanced in its approach to, to customers. And I think that's probably something that most of the industry has would agree with and is you know perhaps in the process of attempting to to kind of catch up with now but can you explain to me a little bit from from your perspective the ways in which perhaps insurance was lagging behind as an industry yeah I, the way i see it and and of course everybody else can have a different opinion but um it, it feels like the the whole digital change has come very late to um to insurance and also the need to understand that customers are very different and they now want to be serviced in a different way uh, has come late to insurance as well. I think the industry has kind of looked at itself as a very specialized, isolated area uh, where, where the business was dictated by underwriting and very technical skills, et cetera, et cetera. But, but no customer today would look at insurance and, and think, okay, I'll forgive them for not being good at customer service uh, because they are insurance. No, no, customers will take their leads and their impact from every company. So if if Amazon can uh, allow me to track a very simple package of something I've ordered with them all through the process, then I expect exactly the same from an insurance company. And if, if I can get in contact and change my details in every which media I want with other companies, then I expect the same from insurance as well. And I think insurance is, is yeah, getting there. Um, I, I see many good initiatives ac- across uh, companies around the world, but I don't see somebody who's really cracked uh, the code on all of these elements. And I think there has two levels to it. That one thing is to just fix the basics of where we're letting customers down. And the other element is let's start wowing customers about what we do. Because actually, insurance uh, plays a very important role and does a lot of good in society. We just make it a little bit tricky to interact with us and deal with us, which we need to um, really make a big effort in changing. So those basics to fix, can you elaborate a little bit on those for us? Yeah, I think the the way that we interact with customers, the fact that you can't track a claim where it is in the process that you might have to talk to several people before you get to the right person. The fact that it takes a long time and you don't get the, the uh, reply as, as speedy as you would like it. 
So I think there's elements of that journey that can be uh, greatly improved. The way we communicate, we communicate in highly technical language. So there is something that can be done to simplify that language. And in general, to understand journeys that customers would like to take today when interacting with a company, that journey needs to be based on what the customer wants, where they want to interact, whether they want a self-service or they want to talk to somebody on the phone. That is all the choice of the customer. And it shouldn't be bound to, well, our system cannot cope with that. Um, so I, I think we need to move much more from what are we able to deliver to know what do we need to deliver because that's just the minimum standard of what customers are expecting today. I sometimes get asked, um, how can you really how can you really jump from from working in a toy company to an insurance company? And, and my answer to that is, I think customers are, want the same. They're looking for the same from companies. They're looking for seamlessness. They're looking for ease. They're looking for personalization in the approach. They want us to take all the stress out of their daily life and make it easy and seamless for them to interact with us. And they will be forgiving for a while, but, but not forever. So we really need to step up on this journey. So I'm guessing part of that step up, if you want, is um, to rely perhaps a little more heavily on technology. Um, is, is it a case that you think that the insurers should be working uh, more closely with these insure tech firms that are, you know, perhaps offering um, solutions, you know, for example, um, you know, I, I'm in a house and, uh, you know, I have uh, some technology that detects when, when a leak occurs. So that allows me uh, to sort of flag that before, you know, I have to make a claim um, or, you know, perhaps it's something within the technology that, uh, you know, allows the, the process to run a little smoother. So, for example, like you said, to, to update a policy to maybe just to go on an app when I need to sort of switch my insurance on or, or to switch my insurance off. Uh, is, is that the sort of thing that you would like to see insurers do more of? Absolutely. I think insurance is moving away from being merely protection to be much more prevention, much more service-based and much more holistic in its approach. So one of the challenges we have as an insurance company is that it can be very difficult to create that level of engagement, that kind of loyalty, that kind of love for the brand that you see in other categories because our interactions are very few and far between and they're also very um, functional. And I, I think the, the people who will succeed in, within insurance will be having, uh, play a much bigger role in their customers' lives and, and help them in many aspects with, with, as I said, with services or technology or Internet of Things, etc., to make this experience and in engagement a much, much more valuable one for the customers. And you talked about wowing the customer uh, in the same way that perhaps you, you, could, you could wow a customer at Lego. So um, how do you think an insurer could, can, uh, can wow a customer? I think it can be done uh, in many different ways, but a good starting point would, would be to be uh, much more empathetic towards the customers and kind of starting with them first rather than uh, starting with a what's your uh, what's your policy number? Start with, okay, how are you today? How how are you doing? Or if somebody has had a car accident, to start with, uh, are you okay? So actually showing that you are there for them to a much higher degree than what I, I see today is a, is a good starting point. 
Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, if I can look at it from the, the the broker standpoint just for a minute, because you know perhaps your your average broker on on the high street, if they're looking to uh, you know enhance their own. Um, relationship with customers and improve customer outcomes. Obviously, they're they're very reliant on the insurer themselves because you know they're they're putting across pod products that they're hoping will genuinely meet the needs of their clients. And and to do that, of course, that relies on the insurer. But is there anything that the the broker can do themselves to sort of improve that customer journey? Um, I, I see the relationship to the brokers and the agents as a very strong partnership. Uh, where where we um, together can help um, servicing our customers to a, a higher degree. And I know from the insights that we have that is working really well when when there is a, a strong a broker as part of the as part of the relationship or a strong um, uh, agent. So I think that that is very important. And and I also see uh, brokers and agents that are moving much more towards this customer led way of thinking in the way that they engage with with their customers. So I think this is a journey we need to get, go on together and inspire each other and partnering up because we it's in our interest to do good for the to good to good for our clients. So the more we can do that the better. And as we said, obviously, a, a big part of the the, the, the journey that the, the brokers and the agents provide is reliant on the insurer, especially at claim time. Uh, you know, in, in that case, you're, you're completely reliant on the insurer in terms of, uh, you know, providing the, the payout that the customer expects. So, I mean, how can a broker or, or an agent sort of feel confident in the insurer that they're working with? Are there any uh, red flags that they should watch out for, for example? Um I, I think in their relationship to, to Zurich, they can be um, they can rest assured that we probably are one of the insurers in in um, in the market that pays out the most claims. So I think we have a very ethical approach to how we deal with customers and how we deal with their needs in these uh, moments of truth. So I, I think that having a long term relationship with them and being that trustworthy partner to them, so they don't feel that they oversell a promise. To the customer is, is is where I see see real uh, benefit, and again, if if there are issues, I, I I think we have very strong dialogues with our brokers and and in the way we work with them and and want to build um, their success and our success uh, equally at the same time. But I think customers always see insurance, don't they, as a as a grudge purchase. Um, do you think it's ever going to be possible to to change that and for insurers to be looked on more positively? Yeah, I totally believe that. Uh, I, that's why I'm here. I, I think there are lots of things we can do to be uh, much more engaging uh, towards our customers and play a bigger role in in their lives. And I actually think we do a lot of good, at least uh, from what I've learned uh, through my months at Zurich. We do a lot of good. We don't speak that much about it, though. We don't. We're very uh, conservative in that sense. So we wait for the customers to find out. So, so I think there is a space there. I think a little bit today, all insurers are in the same sea of sameness. We offer the same. We stand for the same. And, uh, and uh, my, my role um, together with the team at Zurich is to uh, find our unique way out of that sea of sameness and stand out um, and have a unique offer and unique value proposition towards our customers. Um, that's what we are currently building. That's what we're currently will, uh, we're working on. So I, I think you will see more of that um, coming out in the way that we do business going forward. 
um, over the next couple of years. So you think that the the industry should perhaps shout about its achievements a little bit more? Because I think, uh, you know, if you, if we look at the mainstream media, um, the majority of stories about insurance are probably, uh, you know, an, an angry customer who's perhaps not received, um, you know, the the payout or, the, or, you know, they've not had the um, service that they expected on a claim. Um, so um, how can insurance kind of, you know, shout about itself a little bit more? What, what steps could it take? Um, I think it, had, it has to start with actually doing the right thing. So it has to be convincing uh, again and again and again that we are doing the right thing towards our, our customers. So it, it is about showing, not telling. Uh, but, but having said that, I, I do find some, some things I've experienced from coming into Zurich that is quite impressive and interesting, it, the way we invest our our. Uh, how, the way we do our investment in a lot of green bonds, et cetera, et cetera. So the way we help the community rebuild after a big catastrophe. So there are many cases where lots of good things are happening and not just in the claim situation. And, and some of that, I think we should share more with our customers and maybe on our, our website or our, our social media channels, um, not from a bragging perspective, but more because it's meaningful. It's actually meaningful to customers that this is not just about a transactional relationship. This is actually a company that's trying to be a, a, a good citizen and, and, and give back to society in many aspects. And, and lots of that we're not really talking that loudly about. And I, I don't mean that we now the pendulum needs to swing so that we brag about it. And, and of course, we're not the only insurance company <clears throat> that's doing that. But I just think that it, it's an interesting um, subject to share with your um, customers and maybe even involve them in some of these initiatives. That makes a lot of sense. And a, a, another industry that perhaps sometimes has some issues with its reputation um, is the travel industry. And I, I know that you're a, a keen traveler too, Connie. Obviously, you've we talked about it. You've been in London. You, you've been in the US at Harvard. Um, I know that you're Danish originally and you're in Switzerland now. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit more about your your traveling experiences. Um, well, I'm a very keen traveler. Uh, um, I love traveling around the world. I love to get under the skin of cultures and understanding how people are living their lives. So, so I've been traveling all my life a lot for business, but also a lot privately. And now currently I have, um, I have my family spread around the world. I have family in Denmark. My husband's family is in Austria. My dad is in Canada. My daughter is in Sydney, my son is in, in Geneva. So we have the family all over the world. And, and uh, so we, of course, travel to them, but we also sometimes get together for my closest family at least once a year. And then we go to a, a new destination and, and explore that together as a, as a family. Well, so, so, do you, so do you consider yourself then to be um, a traveler more than a tourist? And by that, I mean, you know, a traveler is somebody who perhaps really gets to sort of know a place, see it on a, a deeper level than perhaps a tourist who will go and, and sort of see the sights. Yeah, I, I think time sometimes limit then that ambition. So, so I wouldn't say that I, I can stay for very long uh, at, at some destinations, but I have traveled um, to most places around the world, just to explore them and understand them in a in a different in a different way. I, I enjoy the sights as well, but I also just taking part enjoy taking part of local life. So, what's been your your favorite destination to date? Uh, my favorite destination is Japan. Okay, why why is that? 
I love the I love sushi, and I love the Japanese culture. I, I their sense of aesthetics and design, and I just love the diversity of that country. There are so many things you can go skiing in the north. You can go to tropical islands in the south. You can see temples in the mountains. You can so you can. There's nature there. There's the art island. There's just so much richness in their culture that is that is very inspiring. And then the parts of Tokyo is, of course, very uh, leading in in that kind of new retail opportunities and and design and, and new ways of of engaging with the population. So so it has so many different aspects to it that I find really exciting. Yeah, I, I feel like talking about Japan could probably be a, a podcast all on its own. Um, uh, sadly, though, we are running out of time. Um, it, but if somebody's listening to this podcast, uh, Connie, and, and wanted to reach out to you, um, how could they find you? Perhaps through LinkedIn? Absolutely. They can find me on. I have a big network on LinkedIn, and I believe strongly in uh, learning from other practitioners and sharing experiences and, and building knowledge that way. So feel free to reach out to me. LinkedIn. Okay, that's superb. So uh, thank you very, very much for your time, Connie. Uh, To everybody listening, I'm Paul Lucas. This is IB Talk, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of IB Talk. Follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts for the latest episodes.